I got a very pleasant message from David Chandler the other day. Did you? Well, everybody got a message from David Chandler, but it said some <laughs> nice things. I can't say it said it about me, but it, the subject line on this email was Jimmy Fletchett. Oh. And it said about how great it was to have support among people who actually cared and wanted, you know, the whole development thing to be better. Oh, good. So we're going to be talking about how he is back, why he's back, um, all that stuff. But we're also going to talk about the mess that the previous fair trading minister left before she got shown Ousted. the door. Mm. We're going to talk about a report from Ahuri. That's A-H-U-R-I, the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute. Mm-hmm. Now, they brought out a report, and I... I've got to be honest, I don't actually understand what it means, but we'll have a chat about it. And we'll talk about just some measures that places are taking to try and get more rental accommodation uh, available. And we'll talk about a couple of things that have come up in the forum. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Okay, Elenie Petinos, former short-lived fair trading and small business minister. Now, there've been a lot of stories around about this. About a month ago, she was relieved of her ministry by the Premier, mm-hmm. Dominic Perrottet. He said it was because of allegations of bullying and because there was a report about to come out about bullying and sexual harassment in Parliament. But it coincided with a letter from David Chandler basically saying that he couldn't work with her anymore and there was government policy that had been agreed on and they were supposedly moving forward with, but they're basically stuck in the mud. Yeah. Then there was the whole business of Ms. Petinos having had a meeting with some developers who had for a while employed John Barillaro um, after mm. he left Parliament, mm-hmm. and how Barillaro phoned David Chandler and encouraged him to meet with these people. Mm. So it's oh, kind of real interfering in the ah, process. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we found out later that John Minns, the Property Services Commissioner, had basically, I, mean, I was just reading the other day, hadn't been able to do any work from the moment he stepped in the door. Like he was appointed as property services commissioner. Eleni Petinos was appointed fair trading minister and John Minns just couldn't do anything. Oh, really? Because she took all the work or she forbade him from doing stuff? Well, basically she said apparently that she was restructuring the department and his job was going to be either taken over by or he was going to be part of some infrastructure. Some bureaucracy, really. Yeah, that he really didn't want to be part of. And he was told a couple of weeks ago that his services were no longer required. So he walked out the same week that David Chandler announced that he was leaving Mm -hmm. earlier, um, having extended his contract. And then this week, David Chandler's back. And John Minns is back, and Eleni Petinos is gone. 
Mm. I mean, she's still an MP. Yep, sure. And she she's will no be, longer in that ministry. She will probably be an MP for as long as she wants because that seat in Miranda is absolutely rock-solid um, liberal seat. Yeah, but will she be endorsed by the liberals again, do you think? Ooh. I suppose it depends. I mean, they make, they're inquiring about these allegations of bullying, aren't they? Yeah. I d- so maybe it will, re- maybe if there's going to be a result of the inquiry, then, you know, maybe they will disendorse her. Who knows? It's very risky to accuse a politician of not telling the truth, even though we know perfectly well that a lot of them don't tell the truth a lot of the time. But if she's been sacked from her ministry by the premier, but he says Surely, it's got nothing to do with David Chandler. He yes, keeps saying this. Absolutely. But if she has been dismissed over allegations of bullying, yeah. then he must have some kind of case against her. Yeah. So therefore you would think she would no longer have his confidence. Mm. So it may be possible that the Liberals could disendorse her. But who knows? We, yeah, we'd well, have they've to got an election way. coming up yeah. next, next year. It just strikes me, uh, it's a very good example of how by – underestimating the importance of the fair trading ministry and you know it's the strata ministry it's also the ministry for rentals and real estate agents by underestimating the importance of that the premier has put in to place a minister who is quite clearly not up to the job mm, yes i mean that's there's no question about that but from now on, maybe it will receive, you know, much more of a priority. Maybe people will look at it much more and kind of be a lot more careful about who they appoint. I think they they have to seriously consider, I know I keep banging this drum, but they have to seriously consider having a, a ministry of property, mm, yeah. housing, yeah. but not public housing. Mm. A ministry that says we will look after strata, we will look after rents because half the people in strata are tenants. tenants. We will look after real estate. We will look after strata managers. That's and a- housing as well? Houses? I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that that, that is a, a separate area that kind of looks after itself. Mm. And that comes more under planning mm. for me. Yeah, sure. I mean, the thing about strata is that all these in the, all these sections, strata and tenancy, residential tenancy, and real estate agents and strata managers and building managers and all that, mm, they all they all interconnected. And yeah. yeah, and there's enough going on in there mm, for nice. to to keep to keep everyone busy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's such a huge, and then, I mean, it's always been ridiculous that that's the same ministry that looks after broken toys and dodgy mechanics and mm. things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that should, all that stuff should be over in small business, mm. right? Put, put that over in small business. Keep this fair trading, get rid of the whole fair trading name because it's such a bad reputation anyway. And have somebody in there who is a, who's a cabinet minister, who's mm. a senior minister who actually gets the issues that are involved. I mean, there's millions of people in, mm. involved in this. Yeah, and and they're growing exponentially, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're talking about we need more high-density housing. We need more housing, and it's going to be high-density. So really, why not start dealing with it responsibly? When we come back, I'm going to tell you my cunning plan for fast-tracking decisions at Fair Trading. That's after this. 
So what is this plan that you have about fast-tracking decisions on strata disputes? Okay, so I am going to be in touch with, with again, once again, the Fair Trading Minister, Victor Dominello. Mm. And I am going to propose a plan for sorting out disputes mm. in strata. How are you going to do that? I'm calling it my Judge Judy solution. <laughs> Judge Jimmy, more like. Yeah, right. So basically what happens is you're in a dispute with your committee, whatever, you go to fair trading and they say, look, we can go through the normal processes of mediation and and whatnot, and then if you're not happy, then you get it. The problem goes on, we'll go to NCAT, and if you're not happy with the response at NCAT, then you can always appeal. Mm. And, you know, at some point you start chucking money at lawyers and and things. So here's here's an option, fast-track resolution. Okay. And you have a panel of one current or retired strata manager, one current or retired strata lawyer, Mm. and maybe an independent person, like a fair trading mediator Mm. would be the third person. So, And the plan would be the plaintiff has 10 minutes to state the case. The defendant has 10 minutes to state the case. The committee has 10 minutes to ask questions. Yeah. At the end of that half hour, committee goes away to discuss the case. Another three committee members come in, another case comes in. Mm. Okay. After half an hour of discussion, the panel comes back and says, okay, here's what we've decided. A majority of us think this is the right thing. This is the decision. Okay. Um, and you can go along with that or not if you wish, but that's what we think. Right. If so it's that's a, un- a 60 minute solution, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. And, <laughs> And hopefully, and they would say, look, if you, you could take this to NCAT if you want, we don't think you've got much of a chance there for X, Y, and Z reasons. Mm. Okay. Uh, but the other thing is, if they say unanimously, you're right, you're wrong. Yeah. Then if they do go to NCAT, that will go with them. That decision will go with them. And that puts them at the risk of having costs awarded against them. Mm. So if you've got a vexatious owner or a really um, dysfunctional committee who are just not going to listen to any complaints by anyone. They'll be penalised extra if they they lose. If if they've been told the three of us have had had a look at this case and we think these people are right and those people are wrong, and the people who lose the case say, well, we're going to take it to NCAT anyway, then they say, fair enough, but NCAT... Uh, is already allowed. We don't have to change any laws. Mm. NCAT is already allowed to award costs if they think somebody has taken a case that never had a chance. Mm. So if you've already had a panel of experts say you don't have a chance, mm. then it's you've got to be very sure of your ground if you go to the next stage. So you know it's not it's not going to make everyone happy, mm. but people will be able to go in there, get a result, and go home and think. And at the very least think, oh, I'm just, I'm going to give up yeah. because I think the odds are stacked against me. That's an interesting idea because these three people on the panel, so they could do seven cases in a day. Easily. Yeah, because some of them, they might not even need a half an hour of debate. It might yeah. be much more clear cut than that. And you've got two panels. You've got two panels of three just interchanging. Okay, sure. So you could get through 15, 15 cases, cases in a day. day. 
and people are getting an instant response. Yeah. And it just doesn't go on for months and months and months. Yeah, which is great because when you have a dispute and it does go on, it gets worse and worse and the two sides become more bitter and more entrenched in their positions and less willing to really negotiate. So, yeah, I think that sounds a good idea, Jimmy. Are you going to be one of the people on the panel? God, no. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to have a look at this report from the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute, AHURI. That's after this. Here at Flat Chat, we are always telling people that one of the benefits of apartment living is that you can just lock up and leave when you want to take a holiday. Well, if you're looking for some inspiration on where to go to make the most of your freedom, take a look at mildrover.com, our website for seasoned travellers. It has news, reviews and special travel deals in which you can literally save thousands of dollars. That's M-I-L-D-R-O-V-E-R dot com, the website that takes you somewhere fantastic, even if you don't leave home. Okay, ask me about this report, Sue. So I think you've been studying this report for many hours, Jimmy. I have. What does it actually say? I have no idea. What do you mean you have no idea, you ridiculous person? Well... What it's saying is, let me just read the key points from the executive summary. Private sector residential development is driven by profit. Developers want policy certainty so they can factor these policy settings into their assessment of the potential financial feasibility of a development site. Okay. Mm -hmm. The complexity of the development process, the structure of development organizations, the variety of products delivered, and land ownership issues mean the development decision-making process varies by organization and site by site. Therefore, it is too simplistic to assume policy settings will have exactly the same impact on each and every developer and on each and every site. Right. Getting confused yet? Well, so the first thing sounded like it was saying simplify things, and the yeah. second thing sounds like it's saying it's impossible to simplify <laughs> yeah. things. Then it says housing market conditions drive private sector development. Policies that stimulate or restrict market demand will impact levels of housing supply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, it's One, self-evident, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. So basically what they're saying, I'm not going to read the rest of this because it just oh, good. goes around and around in circles. But basically what they're saying is developers develop because they want to make money. Now, most developers, that's the case. Some of them will develop properties only to make money. That's their only concern. Yeah. And some of them actually want to build a reputation. Mm. And that's a long-term plan. But then they have to make a profit as well. But they still have to make a profit. Yeah. And what they're saying is things like affordable housing adds a, a factor in there. That is an expense. It's an expense. Mm. And it's also can be seen as detracting from the attractiveness of the product that they're trying to sell. That's not necessarily set in stone, but a lot of developers would think that. They also, the, there's another thing that I found back in February this year. There was a piece in the Fin Review about how we are heading for a bottleneck of housing. Basically, even though there are a lot of people are not in the country now, when the new housing comes on tap, then those people will start returning anyway. And so we're never going to actually get ahead of the game in terms of housing the number of people who need to be housed just using 
the housing that is planned that's, mm. that's going to be coming along. And it pointed out that there was a time when a huge percentage of new houses in Australia were built as social housing. Mm. That's almost disappeared now. Yeah. So you combine these two things, and this is, I think, what the message is. The government needs to go to developers and give them guarantees. The developers will go, yeah, I can buy this piece of land here. I've got approvals from the council to build X number of apartments. And it will be, generally speaking, apartments that will make the, the big difference. Yeah. So I can do that there, but it's going to take three or four years for this to come up. And I've got no idea. What prices are going to do? What yeah. the supply disruptions might be on the world stage? Yeah. How much building costs are going to be? So I'm going to be very conservative nice. in my planning. Okay, so basically it's saying that the government should offer some kind of guarantees and backing for those developers. I think that's what it's yeah. saying. Mm. <laughs> I don't mm. know if it's actually – I mean, this is mm. five different universities or four different universities have contributed to this report. But I think that's what they're ultimately saying is if the government wants – to deal with the housing crisis, it has to go to developers and say, you develop these and we'll buy the apartments off you. Yeah. We'll guarantee kind of you. form partnerships in some yeah. ways, work together, yeah. rather than it just being a mishmash of a system with developers coming in and some of yeah. them going under and then disappearing and others yeah. carrying on. Yeah. And, the, you know, if the government has come to the developer and said, right, you're going to build this big development, we are going to guarantee that you have sold 30% of those apartments because we're going to buy them off you. Mm. Now, that's not necessarily for social housing. Mm. That's the government saying, we will guarantee that, that you will be able to sell 30% of the apartments. And then you have a department in the government that says, okay, these are built. The, the developer bought the land, the developer got the approval, the developer got the finance from the bank, they've built the apartments. We now own 300 apartments in a 1,000 apartment development. Let's see what we can do with them. Let's sell them. Mm. Let's rent them out. Let's have an agency that rents. Uh, that Let's have affordable housing rather than social housing or social housing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's what they did in Wollongong with the housing um, complex I visited there. It was a private development, <clears throat> but the government, well, one agency of the government had promised to buy a certain percentage for affordable housing. Yes. So that means for nurses or police officers or yeah. fire yeah. people, that kind of, you know, with essential services. And so that made the um, development viable, really. Mm. And another development development by the same developer, Traders in Purple, I think they were called, yeah. the affordable housing element was so popular they ended up buying the whole of the development for affordable right, housing right. and it became a real success. Well, in that regard, yes, because mm. they sold all the apartments. However, didn't the – was it the council or the government that put a limit on the, the number of affordable housing units mm, that's in, right. in the, the new development? Yep, I think it's a, a maximum of – I think 30% because right. they kind of believe that – if you have more than 30% of a development that's affordable yeah. or social housing, then it may become a bit of a ghetto and the private buyers won't want to buy. Right. But if it's just 30%, then private buyers won't be put off. Yeah. Because if it's a good development, of course. So if anybody wants to read this Ahuri report, I'll have a link mm. to it on our website. Yeah. And if you can work out what it means, please tell us. 
because I guess it's like a man who, if you've got five universities contributing to this, sometimes it's like a man who's got five watches and you never you really keep quite using know. that analogy. I know, but I think it's such a good analogy. There's only two watches. I was, I, I, well, I tend to watch. watches, you have no idea what the time is. Two watches, you might think, well, that one's always wrong. Yes. And then there's the other one, which is a broken watch is right twice a day. <laughs> you go. Right. Unless okay. it's a digital watch. Um, <laughs> I, too much watch talk. And here. it's never right, is it then, a digital watch if it's broken? Because it doesn't show. When we come back, we're going to talk about some radical thinking about what to do about residential properties that have been turned over to holiday rentals. That's after this. So, Sue, you came across a story somewhere about, is it Kayama, where they're they're, uh, concerned about the number of uh, residential rental properties that have been given over to holiday rentals. That's right. I mean, there's a huge shortage of rental property everywhere, really. Yeah. And uh, particularly in kind of coastal towns where lots of people from the cities have been going for a bit of a lifestyle change mm. during and after COVID. Um, so I'm in Kaima, the, the local mayor apparently is talking about writing to all the owners of properties which are let out on short-term rentals like um, Airbnb and stays and asking them to convert them to regular residential rentals to increase the supply of rentals available for people. But if they make less money off a residential rental than they would off Airbnb. And and you did a really interesting story two months ago where you – discovered that unless you're actually running your Airbnbs as a business, like you've got several of them and it's In not just area. Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Then actually making a profit once you start paying for the you know, changing the towels and sheets and handing over the keys and you know mm. it's actually not a guarantee to make money, is it? No. I think a lot of um property owners, investors, think, wow, I can get, you know, Five hundred dollars a week for for my Airbnb property, and yeah. I'd only get two hundred dollars a week for if it was just rented out yeah. all the time. But once you've factored in all those costs, and also, unless you're if you know if it's in a holiday town and you're maybe in Sydney or Melbourne, mm. um, if you're not able to go and um, inspect the property regularly, it's going to get really can get really run down mm. because somebody just going into service and clean and wash the sheets. They won't notice if there's chips on the wall or, you know, they won't be looking for those kind of things. Yeah. They'll just be in yeah. and out. So therefore the, the, the cost of the, the depreciation can be huge. Really. Yeah. You know, because you might have wooden, nice wooden floors and they're all getting scratched because you're getting lots of people in there all the time, big turnaround. And so therefore sometimes you're just not making as much money as you think. Well, and I guess maybe the mayor is going to point that out. Yeah, I mean, I think we what we need maybe Ahuri could get onto this and do a definitive get five universities to do a definitive <laughs> study on what is the real profitability because we're mm-hmm. hearing about uh, towns in America where they they are offering money to landlords to put their properties back into residential rentals. Mm. I believe Tasmania did that. Yeah, that's right, they did. And yep. uh, I don't know if they're still doing it. So it's obviously it's a, something that hasn't been a big problem because of COVID. We're coming out of COVID. We're heading into summer. We're trying to get more migrants into the country to take some of the jobs that we we just don't have enough people to do. Yeah. They're going to need somewhere to live. Yeah. 
Um, Overseas students coming back. And this week I've been tinkering with our travel website, mildrover.com. And I got this software on it that tells us that we've been actually making money from that website. Really? Because people go on and they see an advert and they click on the ad and we get like a tenth of a cent or something like that. So how much money have we made? $24. Ooh, (laughs) enough to retire, obviously. Fish and chips tonight. (laughs) And I went into Google Ads, AdWords or whatever it's called. I've banned Airbnb and stays from our website. Oh, that's good for you. They, good for they, you. they can't, so we'll probably be making no money at all <laughs> from now on. <laughs> well, at least you can sleep with a clean conscience. But, you know, the, the, the websites work on a basis that uh, – or the ads work on a basis that there are keywords in the website that they recognize and they see holiday and stuff mm. like that. We've got an ad running on the, the website from Samsonite, the luggage people. Oh, okay. So that's, that's good. Right. Yeah. That's cool. That's relevant. Sure. Anyway, so I was feeling quite virtuous this week because I I banned one of the most lucrative <laughs> sources, which is short-term rentals. So, so that's, we'll carry that's, on being do, doing this for a long time then because we won't be able to afford to yeah. give it up. Absolutely. <laughs> We've run out of time and uh, we didn't get to the forum, but there's an interesting discussion going on there for anybody who's interested. It's somebody who came in. Really early, we got emails from this person. They just moved into this building and found it to be totally dysfunctional. There was three members of the committee that never did anything. The strata manager was pretty useless. Um, and this person, this flat chatter, mm. using the flat chat column and advice from other flat chatters, has basically now got a committee of eight. They're going to start self-managing the strata manager is about to be told his services are no longer required. And uh, and this guy, he says it's not 100% there yet, but everything's coming together. So that's a, a good positive oh, story. That's great. Oh, that's fantastic. It's nice to know that you've been of help. Yes, mm. I think we have. So that's a start on a happy note from David Chandler <laughs> and a happy note from one of our flat chatters. And I think that's enough to be going on with. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. Um, Sunday night, you've given up your precious time to come and uh, talk to us. Pleasure, Jimmy. And thank you all for listening. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.